Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. As I said on yesterday's podcast, I did not believe the Wall Street relief rally based on the stand down or truce in the trade war following the backtracking by the Fed on potential the number of rate hikes and the distance we were from neutrality. Oh, by the way, you know, yesterday I kept talking about normal when I was referring to interest rates. I I actually meant to say neutral, not normal, although obviously what we have now is not even close to being normal. Uh, But the Fed is trying to convince us that the new neutral rate of interest is now lower than what it has been in the past. And and why is that? I mean, because we have such an enormous amount of debt now, the Fed has to keep interest rates much lower in order to achieve neutrality. But of course, if the Fed needs to keep interest rates low, it's not neutral. Those low interest rates are actually stimulative. What the Fed is trying to do is use artificially low interest rates to prop up the economy and then claim that those artificially low rates are neutral. They're anything but neutral. They are accommodative. It is cheap money. It is easy money. And ultimately, it's going to set off massive inflation. I mean, nobody seems to understand that yet, but that's what's coming. I mean, people are continuing to be complacent despite today's uh, substantial drop in the value of stocks. I mean, today the Dow was down just shy of 800 points, 799 points. At the lows, it was down over 800. I forget exactly, 820, 830. We didn't close on the exact low. I mean, maybe they're going to somehow claim that that was a, a rally or something, the fact that we closed slightly off the lows. This was a terrible day technically. And in fact, I as I mentioned again on yesterday's podcast, the fact that the market made the highs on the open It just did not trade very well today. It looked to me that we would fall down. I did not know that we would drop this much this quickly, but it doesn't surprise me. Uh, This is a bear market, as I said, and we had a bear market rally. In fact, if you think about how much we've dropped from that 500-point pre 
open yesterday to close down 800 today. That's a 1,300-point drop uh, in in the Dow Jones in the span of a, of a day, which is a pretty big move. This was the fourth largest point drop in the history of the Dow Jones, although percentage-wise, it was the 14th largest single-day drop uh, percentage-wise. So still a big drop. The NASDAQ got beat up even more, down 283 points. That's a 3.8% decline. The Dow's drop was 3.1%. Russell 2000 also down just shy of 3%. And the cartage was widespread. I mean, the usual suspects got beaten up. The financials led lower once again uh, by Goldman Sachs in the U.S. and probably Deutsche Bank continuing to fall apart. Uh, overseas, uh, the retailers getting beaten up again, the autos getting clobbered, you know, despite the fact that the motor vehicle sales were a little bit better than expected, they were still down uh, from the prior month, but they were expecting a bigger drop. Uh, but don't worry, a bigger drop is coming. Uh, you know, GE continuing to get beat up, uh, hitting new lows. Uh, the home builders, you know, Toll Brothers came out. I think their numbers were a little bit better, but, you know, you had a, they warned about uh, how weak the market was and how sales were dropping and the whole sector was weighed down by the negative comments coming out of Toll Brothers. But, you know, this economy is obviously headed into recession. I mean, people still don't get that. I mean, look at the crude numbers that came out today. They thought there was going to be a build. In, in crude oil, and we got another drawdown. It was the, I think, 11th consecutive week that inventories are building. You know, why are crude oil inventories building in the United States? Because we're not using as much energy. Why are we not using as much energy? Because the economy is not generating as much economic activity as people think. In fact, bond prices rose again today, or yields fell. In fact, what happened yesterday, and I didn't even get to mention it on yesterday's podcast, I, I, I forgot, uh, was the inversion of the yield curve. And, you know, I didn't think the yield curve was going to invert, uh, although I was thinking of a longer-term inversion where the yield on the, let's say, the two-year was higher than the yield on the 10-year, or the yield on the 10-year was actually higher than the yield on the 30-year. So that hasn't happened. But what has happened is that the yields on the two years are now higher than the yield on the five-year. So we have the front end of the curve kind of inverting, but you still will get a higher yield on a 10 and a higher yield on a 30. Uh, so the market is not uh, inverting the yield curve to that degree. And there, I still believe that that type of inversion is not going to happen. But we do have this inversion of the fives over the twos. And what is that saying? Well, the market is saying that they, it thinks that sometime two, three years from now, the Fed's going to be cutting rates because the economy is going to be in a recession. And so people think that yields will be lower three years from now than they are today, right? Because they think the economy will be into recession uh, at some point at that, you know, in the future. Well, where I think the markets have it wrong is I think the recession is going to be here much sooner uh, than the markets think. I mean, they think maybe it's two or three years away. It's probably maybe two or three quarters away. It's much more likely, I think, that we're in recession in 2019 than 2021. In fact, we may even be in a recession now. We don't know yet. We won't know yet until the government goes back and revises all the numbers. But that is what they will do. Because if you look at what's going on, 
beneath all the headlines, the economic, the real economic data is weak. I don't care that the unemployment rate is still low. The unemployment rate could spike higher very quickly. In fact, I've been talking about the six and a half month high in weekly jobless claims. That's a leading indicator. Look at a lot of these high profile layoffs that are being announced. Look, at some point, we're going to come out with a non-farm payroll and it's going to be a Friday and it's going to be way higher than expected. You're going to see a huge surge in job losses. It's going to be a negative print. There's going to be a spike up in the unemployment rate. And then maybe people will realize that the recession is here. But right now, I think people are still in denial. That's why gold was only up like six or seven bucks today. I mean, that's it. You got the Dow down uh, 800 points, right? And, 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 uh, and gold was barely positive. And the dollar, you know, I think the dollar probably was one of the reasons. The dollar started off the day much weaker, but then the pound started to get pounded. I think it hit a new 18-month low today on, you know, Brexit and political concerns in the UK. And I think that helped spill over into support for the dollar. And so that brought the dollar off the morning lows. And so it was, you know, a relatively okay day for the dollar. And that might have taken some of the shine off the gold market. I think the highest I saw gold was about 1242 in the spot market. And we closed maybe about 1238-ish or something like that. Uh, But again, as I said yesterday, gold should be a lot higher. What has happened in the last week is very, very bullish for the price of gold, and the price of gold is not catching much of a bid. And I think, again, the main reason for this is because nobody gets it. People still think this is a bull market. They're not worried about the decline. They think it's just a buying opportunity. It's just a correction. I mean, they still think the economy is good, even though the bond market obviously doesn't, even though the yield curve is inverting uh, in the front end of the curve, people are dismissing that. They're dismissing the the housing data. They're dismissing the the build in the crude oil inventories. I mean, they're not looking at any of the real data because nobody wants to believe it. Everybody still wants to believe all the hype that this economy is great, that this economy is booming. Nobody wants to deal with the truth because you know how grim the reality is? Because if you have to accept the fact that this economy is going into recession, then you have to accept a lot of very unpleasant things that nobody wants to admit. Because if this economy is going into recession, what does that mean? That means the budget deficits are going to skyrocket. They are going to be two, three trillion dollars a year. Right? It means A lot of people are going to lose their jobs. It means all the lofty earnings expectations are not going to get met. And even though it means more QE, that may not be enough to prop up the stock market. And one thing that nobody seems to get or understand is if we are going into recession and if the Fed is going to go back to the QE well and take rates back to zero, the dollar is going to tank. And the inflation fire that is already burning is going to heat up and it's going to be stagflation. Nobody understands that we can have recession and inflation at the same time, but that is exactly what is going to happen. That is what's going to make this next recession so much greater than the last one is because instead of being relieved with lower prices, 
unemployed people are going to be burdened with much higher prices. And even if you still have a job, your paycheck isn't going to go as far because everything you want to buy is going to cost a lot more. And that is also going to put upward pressure on long-term interest rates. So people just don't get that. They think, oh, if we go into recession, we're going to get the relief, the bonus of lower interest rates. Like, hey, at least the good part of recession is that interest rates go down. So if you don't lose your job, right? Recession could actually be a good thing for you because maybe you get a lower mortgage rate because your adjustment rate mortgage goes down or you can borrow money cheaper because your neighbor is unemployed. Well, this time you're not going to get that. Even if you're not unemployed, you're not going to get the bonus because interest rates on the long end are going to go up anyway because inflation is going to push them up. Despite the fact that the Fed is trying to keep them down, inflation is going to push them up. And so this whole house of cards is going to come tumbling down. But nobody gets that yet. Nobody wants to admit that. And the other problem that no one wants to admit is the political reality of this whole house of cards that Donald Trump claims to have built comes crashing down around him. And after you have Donald Trump out there talking about how great this economy is, how it's never boomed, it's booming like it's never boomed before, and he's the greatest president ever, and this is all because of him, and now it all falls apart. And he's standing there like on the, you know, the deck of the Titanic, you know, neck deep in water, right, because he claimed it was unsinkable, and now we're going down with his ship. He's going to take the entire Republican Party with him. And what does that mean for 2021? I've been talking about this. It means massive tax hikes for corporations, for the rich, because that's what's going to get blamed. If we go into recession, this is the Trump recession. It's the Trump boom, so it's the Trump bust. And if it's the Trump recession, well, then we're going to have the Bernie Sanders uh, so-called recovery. Of course, it's not going to be a recovery. It's going to get even worse, but that's that's the, the snake oil medicine that everybody is going to be sold and everybody's going to buy. And so we're going to have the socialists controlling Congress, socialists controlling the White House. So say goodbye to these corporate tax cuts. And one of the reasons the stock market went up was because we got lower corporate tax rates. Well, what's going to happen when corporate tax rates end up being higher than they were before they were cut? Right. So stock market's going to get clobbered. We're going to have increases in the marginal tax rates for the wealthy. I mean, who knows how high we're going to have to jack tax rates up? Because remember, what is a socialist uh, Congress and a socialist president going to pass? Universal health care, basic income for everybody, $15 minimum wage. There's a whole laundry list of socialist legislation that is raiding in the pipeline. And all this stuff has a huge price tag. And believe me, it's going to cost a lot more than the higher taxes that they're going to pair it with. But the higher taxes are going to come. They are going to soak the rich like the rich have never been soaked before. And the problem is when you soak the rich, it's the poor and the middle class that end up getting soaking wet. They end up getting rained on because, look, rich people, if they're rich, they don't need to get richer. They don't need to keep working. They don't need to keep inventing and innovating and hiring. They can just retire, you know, because we're not going to have a wealth tax. We're not going to tax people's wealth. We're just going to tax their income. And so if you don't want to pay the income tax, well, A, you can move to Puerto Rico, where I am, or B, you can just stop working. You know, that's the ace that the, that the wealthy people have up their sleeve. Just stop working, right? Just retire. 
Stop, you know, providing goods and services. Stop creating employment opportunities. Just shut down your business and go play golf, right? And a lot of people will do that. You raise the marginal rate of income tax high enough. Like, it's amazing to me how many people look back, you know, at the tax code in the 1950s as the good old days when they say, oh, people had a 90% tax bracket. Oh, oh, you know, rich people have it so good today. We used to pay 90% tax and we had a great economy. So maybe we should jack income taxes back up to 91% like the 1950s. I mean, we should be ashamed of ourselves that we ever allowed the income tax that started at 4% in 1913 to ever get as high as 91%. I mean, think about that. What kind of government thinks they're entitled to 91% of what somebody produces? I mean, you talk about slavery. Do you know, a lot of people don't know this, but slaves, basically, the slave owner had to spend 90% of the, the productivity of a slave on maintaining the slave, right? On feeding him and clothing him, on taking care of him when he got sick and, and taking care of the kids and doing all that stuff and giving him, you know, some rest time. I mean, it was expensive to uh, to keep a slave. But, you know, they didn't make take 91% of a slave's productivity. They took 10%. That's one of the reasons that slavery was such a bad economic system. I mean, apart from the immorality of it, it was bad economics. And that's one of the reasons it, it died out. But think about medieval serfdom. Right. People think, oh, the serfs, wait, that's terrible. Right. When you're a serf and you're having to, you know, farm on the land or you're having to pay the lord of the manor. You know how much a serf turned over? Twenty five percent. That's what defined serfdom. Serfs got to keep 75 percent of what they earned and they had to give 25 percent to the lord. And that's what made them serfs. But what are Americans? Right. Most Americans would have to aspire to rise to the level of a serf. Because most Americans who work pay a lot more than 25% of what they earn to the government. So this is one you know, giant serfdom or one giant plantation. But the fact that we ever let rates get as high as 91%, we should be ashamed that that happened in what is supposed to be a free country. But the only reason that that 91% tax rate stood was because very few people paid it. And if you paid it, it was on an insignificant amount of your money. Right, because nobody is going to work for nine cents on the dollar. People weren't idiots back then, but back then we had a different tax code. Everything was deductible. There was not four different kinds of income. There was only one kind of income, and you had all sorts of deductions. And what people did is they deducted everything, all their expenses, all their personal expenses. You know, were run through their businesses, and so they ended up eliminating most of their taxable income. Because after all, nobody is going to work for nine cents on the dollar, especially if you're rich. Why? Why knock yourself out? Just retire, and just you know, live on the money you have. But people were able to use all kinds of shelters and deductions. And of course, it was a lot easier to cheat on your income taxes in the 1950s. You did, we didn't have computers back then. They didn't have 1099s. Most people were using cash. You know how many people, you know, they used to say that the income tax created more cheaters than golf, right? Well, it's a lot harder to cheat now on the income tax. So there's no way we can have those kind of tax rates today with the tax code that we have now. But if we try to raise those tax rates up, and that's what's going to happen, right? That's what the, the, the left wants to do. They want the rich to pay for this laundry list of socialist programs that they think is everybody's right to have, right? People think that you have a right to steal other people's property. That is the problem uh, with a democracy. I mean, if we were a republic, right, we're supposed to be a republic, you can't do that stuff. 
in a republic. But in mobocracy, right, in democracy, you know, the, the majority can steal from the minority. That's why it's such a tyrannical form of government. That's why the founding fathers made sure that we they did not create a democracy. They I mean they would rather have a monarchy than a democracy. But we had an experiment in self-government and they created a republic for us. But that republic has long since vanished. And yes, now this democracy has reared its ugly head and we're about to see how ugly it gets uh, in 2021. That is the the reality that people who are so, you know, oblivious to this recession and want to continue to talk about the booming economy and the miracle economy and and keep on talking about how great Trump is, they want to ignore this because if you don't, if you accept reality, then you have to accept the reality of a democratic sweep in in 2020. I mean, if you think we had a, a, a blue wave in 2018 in the midterms, when everybody was still convinced we had a great economy, how big is that wave going to be in 2020 when we are in a worse recession than the Great Recession of 2008-2009? So I think it's because of this complacency, because of people just oblivious to reality. That's why the dollar is, is not falling. That's why the price of gold is not taking off. And the fact that we're not seeing more of a fear trade, people are not you know, recognizing this, just like people did not recognize the 2008 financial crisis until it was too late, right? They were blindsided by that. They are going to be even more blindsided by this one. And the fact that people aren't buying gold and aren't selling the dollar just shows you how unprepared the markets are for what's going to happen when reality uh, rears its head. And that's when you get the biggest, you know, most disruptive moves in the market, when people are surprised, right? If the market has a chance to price in certain things, if the market is forward-looking and gets it right, then you don't have as much volatility. But when everybody is wrong, when everybody gets it wrong and assets are mispriced, and that includes currencies and, and precious metals, and all of a sudden everybody has to react to this new news at the same time, you're gonna get these violent moves. Uh, in in one direction or the other. And when it comes to gold, obviously the the direction is going to be up and it's going to be up in a big way and the dollar is going to go down. That's again why I'm telling people do not, you know, play cute with this. Do not think, you know, oh, I'm waiting for $1,000 to buy my gold. I mean, look, even if gold goes to $1,000 and you buy it at $1,240, big deal. You don't have to sell Right. It's not, you know, and it's going a lot higher. Don't be greedy. Don't be penny wise and pound foolish because a lot of people are going to be waiting for a thousand dollar gold. The next thing to know, it's going to be two thousand dollars and it can move up to two thousand dollars very quickly. And then what do you do? You didn't want to buy it at twelve forty because you were waiting for a thousand and now it's two thousand. Well, you're going to buy it at two thousand or now wait for what? A pull back to fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred. Just buy it now. Right. Call up uh, shift gold my gold company, and get yourself some gold and get yourself some silver. I mean, you should count yourself lucky that the market hasn't already moved. That's how clueless everybody is, right? That's how, you know, people are so brainwashed. They're so caught up in this bubble, right? They can't see the forest for the trees. So if you could see it, then you got to you gotta buy now and just, yeah, just count your lucky stars uh, that the price hasn't already gotten away from you. You know, Donald Trump was pretty busy today, too, tweeting. And I think some of the tweets maybe are part of the reasons that the market was so worried. One of them was specifically related to tariffs. And he tweeted out and he said, I'm a tariff man. Trump's a tariff man. 
And he basically said something like, you know, if foreigners want to loot our wealth, then we got to make them pay for the privilege. First of all, how are they looting our wealth when they're selling us stuff or basically giving us stuff? They're not looting anything. I mean, our wealth would be if they were taking uh, our, our actual property. The wealth is the plant and equipment, the properties, uh, you know, the housing stock, the factories. I mean, foreigners aren't taking any of that. I mean, we're, we're shutting down our own factories we're, because we can't compete. That's because of big government. It's not the Chinese or the Japanese that are destroying our wealth. It's Washington, D.C., they're not the ones that are taxing us. They're not the ones that are regulating us. We're doing that to ourselves. So we're destroying our own wealth. What the foreigners are doing is basically giving us a lifeline so we can keep on consuming, even though we've destroyed our wealth. We've destroyed our productive capacity. And these idiots around the world are just continuing to send us stuff that we can never pay for. Right. So we've destroyed our own wealth. In fact, in that same tweet, Donald Trump said, you know, I'm the tariff man and I love the money that's coming in, all the money that's coming in in tariffs. He loves it. Well, Americans don't love it because they're the ones that are paying it. I mean, Donald Trump is acting as if the U.S. is getting all this money from Japan and China in tariffs. We're not getting any money from them. All the money is coming from Americans. I mean, this is like a sales tax. Does anybody think that the businesses pay the sales taxes? Right. When you go and you buy something and there's a sales tax, the merchant adds the tax. Right. You see, you get your bill and then there's a tax. The consumer pays the tax. Now, obviously, if we had a value added tax like they have in Europe and places like that, the value added tax gets passed on at every step of the production chain. And ultimately, it gets incorporated into the final price. So the VATs are paid by the consumer. And the sales taxes are paid by the consumer. The a tariff is the same type of tax. It's an indirect tax. It's an excise tax. It is passed on to the consumer, and the consumer pays the tariff in the price of the, of the product. So the money that Trump thinks is so great, he loves it, that's coming into the Treasury, well, it's coming out of the pockets of Americans. It's not coming out of the pockets of the Chinese. But then in that tweet, Trump says that tariffs are great, and we're going to make America rich again with tariffs. I mean, I'm not making this up. This is what this guy tweeted. He is the president of the United States. Everybody thinks he's so great. He's a conservative, small government guy. And he claims that America is going to be made rich through taxation, that we are going to tax ourselves to wealth and prosperity. Is that a conservative? Is that a guy that we want to? He's the new standard bearer of the Republican Party who claims the secret sauce of getting rich is through taxation. We're going to tax ourselves to wealth. He's got it completely backwards. We have to cut to wealth from the government. We have to get rid of government agencies and departments. We have to slash spending. We have to lower taxes if we want to create wealth, but we can't lower taxes and not cut spending because then we just re replace taxation with borrowing. That means the government has to remove the, the, the spending from the economy, the resources from the economy. It's going to remove them through borrowing, which is an even more expensive way then removing them through taxation. So everything Trump has done has made government bigger and more expensive despite the tax cuts. And that is not how you're going to make America rich again and America wealthy again. We have to actually reduce the burden that government places on the economy. We have to make government smaller and less expensive so we can be a wealthier society. We need to um, restore individual liberty. 
That means we got to get rid of the concept of group rights and special privileges for people based on their class, based on their sex, based on their handicap, based on their sexual orientation. Nobody gets a special privilege in the United States. We don't have that. We don't have no nobility, right? We got rid of the noble classes in the United States. Everybody is equal. Everybody is an individual. And the state needs to see everybody as an individual, not the color of their skin, not their sexual orientation. Everybody is an individual. Doesn't matter what their sex is or what they want to pretend their sex is. We're all the same. Nobody gets a special right and nobody gets a demand that somebody else has to provide them with something. No, nobody is owed anything. Nobody, nobody is entitled to anything. If we want to be a rich country again, then we have to go back to that concept. And Trump has to actually repeal all sorts of regulations and all sorts of rules, not just tweet about it, actually do it. Right. Because maybe there's been on the margin some deregulation, but it is nothing. It is a spit in the ocean compared to all the regulation that we got to get rid of if we really want to make America great again. But none of this stuff is happening. All we want to do is raise taxes and pretend that we're going to tax our way to prosperity. But, you know, he had another tweet uh, against Amazon. Right. And of course, Amazon you know, like all the other stocks getting getting beat up. But he's tweeting out that he wants to now. Uh, make Amazon pay more money to use the post office because uh, he says that that the post office is Amazon or or Jeff Bezos's delivery boy and like this is gonna this is gonna stop like the post office is gonna start charging Bezos more money and I don't know I mean maybe I'm not even sure what they what they charge them but I mean why doesn't Trump just talk about privatizing the post office why don't we just get rid of the post office there's no reason you know, to have the post office, just privatize the thing and then let whoever, let the new owners decide what they want to charge Amazon. I mean, that, I would rather see Trump talking about that, getting the government out of the, the postal business and getting them out of trying to enforce a monopoly by trying to put out of competition uh, people who might uh, compete with the post office for, you know, regular mail delivery. Just sell off the post office and let some new owners, you know, uh, make it a profitable, viable enterprise by laying off a lot of uh, redundant workers and, you know, pricing the mail properly. I mean, the government is never going to price the mail properly because it's the government. So, you know, it's it, it, they shouldn't be criticizing Amazon. It should just be criticizing the post office. But, you know, just from examples, in fact, I want to tell uh, a, a story because I've always been critical of Amazon and their business model because I know it's unsustainable. Right, you've got this stock price that's up in the stratosphere, and Amazon keeps on taking market share, and smaller mom and pop stores and not so mom and pop big chains keep going out of business because they can't compete with Amazon. And one of the reasons is because Amazon doesn't have to make a profit because its shareholders are still content to watch Amazon grow its top line and they don't give a damn about the bottom line. Well, eventually they are going to give a damn and it's going to be a game changer. But I'm going to give you a perfect example just from my own experience. And I'm sure everybody has similar experiences. But so I had to buy a bunch of television sets, you know, because I've got this uh, new house here in Puerto Rico and I need a lot of television sets. And so the Black Friday week, I went on there and I found pretty good deal on these 55-inch 4K TVs. They were last year's models, so they're 2017, not 2018, but top-of-the-line Sony TVs uh, looked really good. They were like $560 a piece for these 55-inch TVs, and they were free delivery to Puerto Rico, no shipping. 
So I ordered a whole bunch of them. I needed them for you know a lot of rooms of my house. So I ordered a bunch of these things. But there was one particular bedroom that had a has a built-in area where I want to put the TV. And the 55-inch TV was a little bit too too large. So I had a the, the biggest one I could fit was a 49 inch. So I ordered that. Amazon didn't have a direct sale on the the 55 inch. So I had to buy this 49 inch, which actually was more expensive than the 55 inch because when I bought this one, the the merchant had a $110 shipping charge added uh, for Puerto Rico. And so, um, you know, when I put that on there, it was more expensive, but I needed the smaller one. But still, that TV with the shipping was still cheaper than what I can get locally. I mean, I looked on the website for Best Buy, which they have here in in, in Puerto Rico. And by the way, they won't deliver it. I got to go to Best Buy and pick them up. And, you know, these are big TVs. And, you you know, especially when you're ordering as many as I did. I mean, who wants to hassle by going down there? But even if I went down there and picked them up, they were more expensive. They were more expensive. The same TVs, Black Friday week at Best Buy here in Puerto Rico, it was going to cost me more money than just having Amazon drop them off at my door, right? So uh, I, I ordered the other one, and it was still a better deal even having to pay with the shipping. And by the way, the tax was there. Amazon was charging tax on all of these, the same Puerto Rican 11% sales tax that I that I would pay if I bought locally. So I still had to pay that, but I had no shipping. Anyway, the TV sets arrive, and one of them, of the, of the, the 55s, right, I bought, I think, nine of those that that style and one of them arrived broken it was in it was thrown in a box i don't know where all the other ones were in nice original boxes they were fine and i got this one tv that was like repacked in a large box and i opened it up and i can already see the thing is damaged and and, and so that one i have to return uh, but in the meantime the other tv the the 49 inch tv never arrived I haven't gotten that one yet. And then a couple of days ago, I finally got a call from the merchant. And this guy um, claims he sent an email to the Amazon account, but I don't know. I wasn't paying attention to it, so I didn't see it. But he called me up and he said that, can, can I cancel the order? Because if he ships it to Puerto Rico, it's going to cost him $350 for the shipping. And, you know, even though the Amazon computer, when I ordered it, was 110, he said they, they got it wrong because he went to ship it and it was going to cost him $350 and he was going to end up losing a couple hundred dollars on the deal if he had to honor the, the, the my order. And I felt bad for the guy, too, because he's just running a small uh, electronic store. And so I, I just said, yeah, I canceled the order. And I went and I bought a 49-inch TV on Amazon that was a little bit more money than the one I had originally bought, but it also came with free shipping, right? But here is the the moral of the story and the point that I'm making. This guy had to spend $350 to ship me a TV to Puerto Rico. What did Amazon spend? They they shipped me nine, 10, 55 inches, and they didn't charge me a nickel. I got free shipping. And this is a bigger TV than the 49 inch. So how much does that cost? I mean, how much money are they making? They sold me the TVs. It was like, I think, $560 a TV. I mean, how could they even be making much money on those TVs? And then they're charging me nothing, and it's costing them over $300 a piece to ship them? And it gets better than that because the one that arrived broken, right? I'm going to ship that one back. And so when I called up you know, them to tell them it was broken, it was going to cost them so much for me to ship it back 
that they just decided to give me a credit and not charge me for that TV at all. So they just lost the money on that one, right? Because that one arrived broke. So they credited me back to $560. They paid the $300 to ship it here and they got nothing. And then every other TV they shipped me, they must have lost money. There's no way they could have made money on these orders. I mean, even if it only cost them $200 to ship each TV, they're not making a $200 profit margin on a $550, 55-inch Sony Bravia. You know, I mean, there's no way. But none of this matters right now. Amazon could do whatever they want because nobody cares. They don't have to make a profit. They don't have to pay a dividend. And all this stuff comes out in the wash. But at some point, this is going to come to an end. They cannot continue to operate a business on this scale in this manner. They can't keep losing money. When I talked to the other merchant you know, who had to pay the $350, he says, like, yeah, how can I compete with Amazon? But he's working through Amazon. He's selling a lot of stuff through Amazon, but he can't compete with the stuff that Amazon sells directly because he's got to charge shipping and Amazon ships it all for free to Puerto Rico. In fact, when I call them back up, you know, nobody could even understand this because they didn't want, you know, normally they send you a shipping label, a prepaid shipping label where you can, you know, you can ship it back but it's if it's broken, but it was going to cost me so much to ship it back. It's like the hell with it. Just take it for free. You know, it's cheaper just to, you know, just to give me a credit. So th- this is what's going on with, with Amazon. And I'm sure a lot of other people have similar stories with Amazon. In fact, I remember way back when, when Amazon first started and they were just a bookstore, right? My father, we used to joke when my father was still alive, his books, he was selling his books to Amazon and Amazon was paying him more money than they were selling the books for to their customers. I was like, you know, you could just buy them all back. You can make your book a bestseller by selling your books to Amazon wholesale and then buying them back for less money than Amazon paid you. But, you know, they didn't care, right? Back then, it was all about generating sales and generating revenues. And that hasn't changed because I remember back then, this is in the 1990s. You know, it was like, well, yes, they're going to have a profit eventually. Well, when? This is 2018. And they're still just growing the top line, growing the top line. But this is all going to come back to bite. This whole market is built on a mountain of air. It's all a bunch of faith. It's all not even faith. It's like delusion, which has been driving this market and driving this whole narrative. And we are going to come uh, into a, a, a crash. We're going to go head on crash into a wall of reality. Well, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, somebody sent me a, an email actually to correct this from my last podcast because I, I, I talked about the $400 billion farm bill that's uh, making its way through Congress and it's going to end up on the president's desk and he's going to sign it, right, uh, with a pen of hypocrisy. But I talked about this $400 billion as if it was all subsidies to the farmers and it's not. In fact, I think almost 80% of the farm bill is not farm subsidies. It is uh, government nutritional programs, right? Food stamps or SNAP, uh, they call it now, just uh, to, you know, to make it more cachet, right? So they want to take away the stigma uh, of using it. Hey, it's SNAP, right? It's got a nice uh, snappy name. But, you know, this also highlights the complete hypocrisy of government because you have this bill that on the one hand, is providing subsidies to farmers. And a lot of the subsidies to farmers are not just cash. There are a lot of rules and regulations 
that are meant to limit the amount of farmland that can actually be put into production. And the whole goal of a lot of the government farm programs is to reduce the output right, of farming, to reduce the supply of crops into the market so that the prices will be higher. And so the whole goal is for farmers to make more money by making food more expensive. That is the, the goal of the agricultural programs. But then, of course, we also have uh, food stamps or SNAP program where we're giving money to poor people so that they can buy food. But here is the irony of it or the hypocrisy of it. It's the taxpayer that gets stuck twice. On the one hand, the taxpayer has to pay so that farm products could be more expensive, so that farmers could make more money because of their political connections, right? So the taxpayer has to subsidize farmers so that food is more expensive than it would otherwise be in a free market. But now because food is more expensive, we need to subsidize the poor. We need to give more money to poor people to buy the expensive food. When if we simply didn't subsidize the farming industry, food would be less expensive and so it would be more affordable to poor people. And so maybe more poor people wouldn't even need the assistance because they would get cheaper food or to the extent that they needed assistance, they wouldn't need as much because food wouldn't be as expensive. But it's a double barrel shot of government where the taxpayer is on the hook twice. We got to pay the farmers to make the price of food high. And then we got to pay even more money to the people who are poorer so that they can buy the overpriced food that would have been a lot less expensive had the government stayed out completely. And so we wouldn't even need a farm bill. We wouldn't need uh, to give money to farmers and then give more money to people to buy the food that the subsidies were designed to make more expensive. This is how government works. This is why you want to keep government out of as much things as possible. This is why we want limited government. We don't want all these agencies. We don't want all these departments. And if you think this is bad, if you think the Department of Agriculture is bad, if you think the government does stupid things, you know, we subsidize tobacco farmers too. They're not you know, they, they don't uh, not subsidize tobacco because, you know, it causes cancer. So we give subsidies to tobacco farmers and then we spend money trying to convince people not to buy the tobacco that we just paid the farmers to grow. Right. But if you if you think this is bad, where do you see how much worse it's going to get when they take over health care, when they completely take over education, when the socialists actually put the government in charge of an even greater share of the U.S. economy. I mean, why do you think all these socialist countries of the past have collapsed? Why do you think Cuba uh, went through the experience or Venezuela or East Germany or North Korea? I mean, all these countries that have experimented with socialism, why do you think it's been a complete and unmitigated disaster? <laughs> the, the, the craziest thing is, as many times as it's failed, people always want to try it again. And despite all the evidence that capitalism works, Americans are about to repeat the same failed experiment one more time. We're going to go all in on socialism 2021, and the markets still do not get that. But before they do, and they will, you need to front run this trade. You need to get on the right side. As I said, you need to get out of dollars now while the getting's good. You need to get your money into 
Inflation hedges like gold and silver. You need to get into some undervalued foreign stocks, some of these beaten down emerging market stocks. This is going to be a huge game changer when the Fed has to do a real about face, uh, not just you know talk about not hiking as much. When they have to do, you know, go back to zero and they got to do QE and the bottom drops out of the dollar and prices take off and the deficits explode and the budget deficits explode, you need to be properly positioned before that happens. Now, remember, tomorrow, U.S. markets are closed. I mentioned that on yesterday's podcast. It is a day of mourning uh, for George Herbert Walker Bush. But what we really should be mourning is not the passing of a president, but the passing of a nation. The, we should be mourning the death of American freedom, of American liberty, and American prosperity. And I hope one day, one day, to be able to celebrate the rebirth of those things. Hopefully it's not just my children or my grandchildren uh, that experience it. I'd like to experience it myself in my lifetime. I really would like to see America great again. It's unfortunate that Donald Trump was not the guy to do it. Hopefully, somebody else is going to help us rise like a phoenix from the ashes in 2024.